Father God, thank you so much for your work in and through this church through the years. Thank you so much for the word of God, for the Bible. Lord, I'm keenly aware that I would have nothing to say to your people if I didn't have the Bible. And so may the the ministry of the Spirit be activated now, here on this campus and in Whitehall, as the word of God is preached. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, on Thursday night of the week leading up to his death, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus the Messiah, shared a meal, as you know, with his disciples. And at one point during the meal, he looked around the room at all of his men, and he said something quite profound. He said this, By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another. I got to thinking, as we here at New Life embark on this new phase of our journey together, we felt it important for all of us to be reminded that the primary, the primary identifying mark of followers of Jesus, according to Jesus, is what? Love. Love. Not that we carry a big Bible around or even attend worship services. It's love. Christians are to be known for their love. Followers of other world religions might be characterized and identified by other things, but Jesus' disciples are to be marked deeply by love. And so these next few weeks, we're going to be challenging each other to really be disciples of Jesus who love other people. And we're going to talk about next week about loving our neighbor. Pastor Dave Early is going to be here next Sunday speaking to us on that topic from... um, the parable of the Good Samaritan and his experience loving his neighbors in Las Vegas. That's going to be a great time. I hope you'll be here for that. Beyond that, we're going to talk about loving lost people and and loving the whole world. But today, we're going to explore together what Jesus was talking about that night, 2,000 years ago, in that upper room with his disciples, loving one another. And by the way, the call for Christians to love each other is found all throughout the New Testament. I, I think of passages like Romans 12, t- 10 that says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Or like Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Oh, that Jesus would say that about us, about this church. Peter said it this way, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. John wrote, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And in John 13, 34, it says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, You, so you must love one another. Now, that last statement is often called the New Commandment, and it was also spoken during the Last Supper in that upper room. It came from the lips of Jesus himself, and you can see that he was instructing his disciples to love each other like he loved them. Do you see that? As I have loved you. But what did Jesus mean by that? As I have loved you. What was he referring to? We know that in a few short hours from that moment, He would show them the ultimate expression of his love by dying for them, by laying down his life for their sins. But 
when he made this statement, that hadn't happened yet. So what could he be referring to? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, I believe that Jesus was referring to what had just happened, what had just taken place in that room. And when you read John's account of what went on right before the meal there, it becomes very apparent that Jesus was using this occasion to give his disciples kind of an object lesson in love. And we know that for sure because of how John opens the scene. So if you have a Bible or device, go to John 13. That's where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 13. And in verse 1, it opens this way. It was just before the Passover feast, the meal there. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So they're in that room, just hours away from showing them what dying love looks like, just weeks away from leaving them and returning to his Father in heaven, Jesus wanted to give his men a vivid picture of what living love looks like in its fullest expression, so that they could see firsthand how he meant for them to love each other after he was gone, after he had left. And thankfully, John recorded what happened in the room, and we here today can glean from it, too, as a result. You know, this last week for me has been kind of nostalgic and, and kind of emotional. Um, and I'm not a super, you know, I'm not a crier type of a guy, but I've been on the edge of tears most of this week. It, it began um, with my youngest son's graduation, so we're on the verge of empty nesting, and some of you are there, and then last weekend was his, <laughs> oh, so I got something to look forward to, I guess, huh? <laughs> you know, and uh, last weekend was his party, and it was here, and it was great, and, and I was the one who put together the video slide presentation of his life, and you know when you do that, you relive all those 18 years, you know, and and I was just bawling like a baby, you know, and, and uh, it's like, man, I blinked a few times, and those years went really fast. And so I was already emotional. And then uh, one of the young ladies in our church who's been here, you know, she was in the nursery 20-odd years ago. She got married on Friday night. Angie Schmidt married David. We prayed for them. Remember last weekend, a beautiful wedding downtown Columbus. God gave us great weather, and it was just sweet, and that was very emotional, having known her her whole life. And then sometime this week, it struck me, this is, this is our church's 30th anniversary week. It was 30 years ago, this week, that our team rolled into Columbus together with the dream of starting a church. And we didn't want it just to just be another church on another corner in another town. We, we wanted it to be a church that would help people come to know and love Jesus, to be saved, to be born again, and then to grow in their faith and become disciples of Christ who could then help other people come to know and love Jesus and grow in their faith and become disciples of Christ. That was our heartbeat, our vision. And I remembered back to a few months before we moved here, we actually came up on a field trip to scout out Columbus. And I remember all of our crew, 11 or 12 of us, uh, packed into a big conversion van riding around Columbus visiting some of the landmarks of the city and one of those one of our stops was at the uh, state house at the capitol building downtown and we thought hey we're here in Columbus it's the capitol let's get a tour so a nice young man a page down there 
uh, gave us a tour of, of the Capitol building, and we told him, we said, you know, we're Christians, we're, we're followers of Jesus, and we plan on moving here in a few months and starting a church. And he said, so you guys are Christians? He said, I know some Christians. And we thought, uh-oh, <laughs> here it comes. Yet another sad story of Jesus' people misrepresenting Jesus somehow. But he surprised us. He said, you know what? I really like those guys. They're amazing. He did this. He said, they're always like together. And I can tell that they really love each other. We went, whew, <laughs> dodged a bullet there. Thank God for that. We actually took his remark as a sign that God was already at work here in Columbus and really a confirmation to us that he was indeed leading us here to help the effort of spreading his gospel message. So here today, today, 30 years later, on this milestone day when New Life is opening, right now, its first multi-site campus to help further spread the good news in our city, I can look at you and I can confidently say to you that Jesus is still calling his people to love one another. And it's by that love that the people of Gehanna and the people of Whitehall and the people in Columbus and in central Ohio will know for sure that we are followers of Jesus. It's by our love that they'll know. And to help us know what that looks like fleshed out, that love, I, I want us to peek in on the scene that night at the Last Supper and see exactly how Jesus loved his men. I'm going to pick up the story in verse 2 of John 13. The, it says this, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. That's an interesting phrase. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, right off the bat, something jumps out at me, maybe at you as well. It's really important to understand and essential for expressing Jesus' kind of love. Here it is. Number one on your outline. If you haven't pulled that out yet, you can follow along with us. Loving people like Jesus did, number one, begins with having a secure identity. You read this and you have to ask, why did John say what he said there in verse 3? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, that he was returning to God. But you know what? With my gospel lenses on, it's very clear to me why John included that. He wanted his readers to know that Jesus' ability to express this kind of servant love to others came from somewhere. It came from somewhere deep within him. It flowed out of his secure identity as God's beloved son. Do you see that? There's a key principle here that we've been talking about for several years, and we've got to get it, and you've got to get it if you're going to become a truly loving person, and it's this. Doing flows from being. Doing flows from being. Behavior comes from belief. Mission flows from identity. Do you understand that? You cannot give what you do not have. It's loved people that love people. 
You see, obeying Jesus' new commandment to love one another doesn't begin with you hearing an inspiring sermon today and then kind of gritting your teeth and going out and saying, okay, doggone it, I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to try really hard. It doesn't begin there. It begins with you being convinced that you are loved by God. We love because He first loved us. You've got to get down deep. You've got to get it down deep. He loves you deeply, unconditionally, not because of how good you've been, but simply because He chose to set His love upon you before the world began. We love because he first loved us. That's why we're calling this new series Gospel-Powered Love. You cannot give what you do not have. You cannot impart to others what you do not possess. Love expressed comes from love possessed. It's only loved people who love people. Do you get that? It's so important. Without having that clear sense of identity, that, that you're a beloved child of the Father. Your love for others will either be non-existent or kind of weak, and tepid, or tainted, tainted by self-interest. Isn't that your experience? It's, it's mine. You see, if I'm not secure in my identity in Christ, I can get all inspired to go out and love on people like Jesus did, but if I don't get back from them what I wanted in the first place, if the transaction doesn't go both ways, then I'll begin to think it's not working. And then I'll decide I need to try another tactic. Love, true love, just is not sustainable over the long haul if it doesn't flow out of a secure identity in Christ. Listen, Jesus was not an insecure fella. <laughs> he knew who he was. It says he knew where he came from. He knew the scope of his authority here on the earth, and he knew that he was going to be reunited with his father in just a few short weeks. And out of that security, he was able to give himself away in love. Do you, do you see that? This is so important. One reason we have prayer partners available to pray with you at the end of all of our celebrations is to provide you with the opportunity to have someone pray over you that this would be awakened in you, that you would get that you are loved by God. And I believe it can happen in an instant like that. Where you go, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I'm deeply loved by God. Oh, how I wish that for each and every one of you. I really do. That's where loving others begins, with having a secure identity. Jesus showed us that. Now something else. I know this one is stating the obvious, but in our culture, I think it bears repeating, because in our culture, love kind of can mean a lot of different things, and it, it's often tinged with self-gratification, right? But loving people like Jesus did, number two, means focusing on others instead of self. Focusing on others instead of self. Someone said, if you're all wrapped up in yourself, it's going to be a pretty small package. And they were right. They were right. Some of us are so self-absorbed, and the bad thing is you don't know it. Just look at your Facebook page. 
You know, I mean, just look at your own Facebook page sometimes. Sometimes it's all about me, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm planning on doing. Think about the scene that night. Jesus was there in that room, probably a hot, sweaty room. It's Middle East, you know, and it's upstairs, and Jesus was just hours away, wasn't he, from betrayal, from arrest, from relentless interrogation all through the night, a sleepless night, then multiple trials, then sentencing, then flogging, a brutal flogging, and then the agony of being crucified, and the thing is, he knew it. He was in that room, and he knew it was coming. He's the Son of God, and he knew the hour had come to fulfill his redemptive mission on the earth. It was time. Let me ask you this. If you were in that situation, and you were hanging out with your friends one last time, where would your focus be? I know where mine would be. Mine would be on me. I would be looking for sympathy, for pity, for support. I would put a chair in the middle of the room, and I would go sit in, and I'd say, guys, come over, pray for me, please, lay your hands on me, pray that God will give me the strength to go through with this, and there'd be nothing wrong with doing that, but what I'm telling you is my focus would be on me if I knew that was coming. But where was Christ's focus? On meeting a need that was in the room at that moment? he faced his biggest challenge. This is amazing to me. It's another reason why I love him. Verse 4 says, so, the idea is so being secure in who he was, he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothes, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and he began to serve. Loving people like Jesus did begins with believing what God says about you, but then that frees you up to get your eyes off yourself and onto other people. That's how it worked in Jesus. You know, in Whitehall, as Alan was saying, we're attempting there, beginning today, to blend together two congregations. And that's not an easy task. And Pastor Claude and I have been trying to coach our new life Whitehall people and, and say, you know, when we get to Whitehall, let's not make it all about us. Okay? Let's realize that there's a group of God's people who've already been in Whitehall for years as part of that church there, faithfully serving the Lord through the years. And and they might be a bit fearful of your arrival there. They might be a bit fearful of change. They might be a bit fearful of being swallowed up by us. So do this. Love on them. Love on those precious people of East Baptist Church. Be sensitive to them. Get your eyes off yourself. Focus on helping those folks ease their way into a new era of church life. You know what? I'm confident in our Whitehall folks. I'm confident they'll do that because I believe they get the gospel. And I believe they're secure in their identity in Christ. And that's going to free them to focus on others and to care for others. Well, I couldn't help but notice this next thing, too. Number three, loving others like Jesus did might take unconventional forms, i.e., weird. It might get weird. (laughs) You need to know that in that culture, rabbis just didn't do this. They didn't bend down and wash the feet of their disciples. That would have been unthinkable. In fact, rarely would a rabbi ask his disciples to even wash his feet. 
Foot washing was considered slaves' work. If you're one who's maybe not familiar with first century Jewish culture, you might be wondering, what's that whole foot washing thing, that ritual all about? Well, remember that back then, roads were not paved. They were more like dusty trails, and there were no cars, no four-wheel drive vehicles. If you wanted to get somewhere, most likely you walked on those dusty trails, and you had sandals or bare feet, and so your feet would get really grimy. And if you, perchance, were invited to someone's home for a meal, it was customary in that culture when you showed up at the door for a household servant to bend down and take your sandals off and clean your feet. And the reason he would do that is to prevent an unappetizing situation from occurring during the meal. Because in that culture, they didn't have like big tables and chairs. There were no chairs. The tables were low. And you would kind of lean or recline on your elbow while you were eating, and your feet might be in someone else's face. (laughs) And that would make for an unappetizing situation, right? And so to prevent that, the household servant would bend down and clean everyone's feet, the guest's feet, and that would enhance the whole dining experience for everybody. And so when Jesus, the rabbi, got up and removed his outer garment and took a towel and dipped it into the water and began to clean his disciples' feet, what he was doing was actually taking the role of a household servant. Now think about that. A little strange? A little weird? Would that have raised a few eyebrows? Didn't he say he was the king of kings? What's he doing? What's he doing? <laughs> certainly surprised people. It certainly explained Peter's reaction, which we'll look at in a moment. You know, Christ's love flowing through you will sometimes have that same effect. You'll feel prompted to go serve someone or offer something to someone or do something for them or maybe a group, and someone will be surprised and say, well, that's kind of strange, that's kind of weird. Why why would you do that? I think about how we have some people here in our church who hold really high-octane positions in the corporate world. You know what I'm talking about? Corner office, lots of people report to them. I mean, they're high-powered folks in the corporate world, but, but they love Jesus, and here in the church, instead of amping up on people here, what, what they do is they serve in our children's ministry, caring for and showing Jesus to the little ones. And I say, praise God, that sounds like something Jesus might do, right? When men who at their jobs have, you know, tell people what to do all day, but On a Saturday morning, they show up here in overalls and get underneath a car and remove a drain plug and get oil all over them and remove an oil filter and put a new one on and change the oil for a single mom in the name of Jesus. I say, praise God for that. That sounds like something Jesus would do. That's kind of that unconventional, a little bit strange, surprising love of Christ that has grabbed hold of their heart. Praise God for that. I wonder, what weird thing might Jesus in you be leading you to do, to love someone? Might surprise some people. They would think, well, he wouldn't do that or she wouldn't do that. What is that thing? Something else I noted about Jesus' activity that night, and I think this is very profound. Number four, loving each other like Jesus did requires action. 
Did you know that Jesus did something? <laughs> he didn't just feel bad that the evening was going to be spoiled by a bunch of smelly feet. He didn't just hope that someone else would see it and take care of it. He didn't just think, well, I should probably do something about this situation, and I would if I was having a better day. No, he got up, he moved, he acted, he did something. He expended the energy that it took to not just see the need, but to meet the need. You know, in this whole adventure of sending out a group of our people to go and minister in the community of Whitehall, the elders of this church, the elder team of this church, six men who oversee and govern both campuses, they have repeatedly expressed a particular concern. You know what it is? That this congregation remains strong. That the Gehenna campus remain healthy and strong. Yes, it's a great thing to send people off to Whitehall, but we don't, wanna, we don't want that send to have the effect of hurting New Life Gehenna. That would be counterproductive, right? Mom needs to stay healthy. Especially if we want to keep having babies. For, the, for that desire of the elders to be realized, for New Life Gehenna to remain strong, even though we've sent 90 plus people on mission into Whitehall, do you know what that's going to require? Do you know what it's going to take for this congregation to stay strong? Let me simplify it with just a couple of things. First, it would take this. Many of you who attend here but have not yet taken the step of becoming ministry partners like we saw earlier, it's going to take you doing that. Yeah, you, you come on the weekends, you enjoy the experience, you, you like coming, but you've never committed. You know there's a time for dating and there's a time to commit. And some of you have been dating the church months, years, what a great time to commit right now. To commit, to put roots down here. To join the team, to invest your time and resources here in this body of believers. To get on mission with us here. This body of believers needs you and needs you to be all in. Say, Well, how does that process start? Well, like Alan said, it starts with taking the new life class. And um, you say, well, when is that? Well, like he said, it's tonight. That's why I'm asking you to take your card out where it says, I'm interested in the new life class. Check that box and show up tonight. I'm leading off with the first session. It's team taught. We'll feed you pizza. We'll watch your children. It's time to commit. It's time to get in the game. You know, I've asked the Lord to talk to you, if this is you, right now about this and to give you a little gentle nudge or something more forceful if it need be. Yeah, that's what it's going to take for New Life Gehenna to stay strong. And something else, keeping New Life Gehenna strong will require those of you who are ministry partners here but have been sitting on the sidelines watching others and cheering to get in the game, to get off the bench and get in the game. Put me in, coach. Did you know that beginning today, today. Some key serving roles, for example, in our children's ministry are open. We, we sent some all-star people to Whitehall in children's ministry, didn't we? We sent some top-tier 
gold standard folks in children's ministry. Dwight Hall, praise God, they're going to have a great children's ministry. But that opens up some roles right here. Now, some people have stepped forward and gotten trained and are getting in the game, but many more are needed. Many more are needed. Your involvement is needed to keep this church strong. Like it says, love requires action. In our guest services area, the same thing. And so if you're a ministry partner here, and if you love Jesus, if you can greet people, if you can love on children and help keep them safe and show them Jesus, there is a place for you to make a difference here with your life. Again, I am interested in serving. Some of you, you're here, but you're not all in. And I'm telling you, this church needs you to be all in. So check the box. That'll jumpstart a process. We'll have someone contact you and find out, what are you interested in? What are you good at? What have you done before? What brings you great joy? What have others affirmed in you? We'll start the process of helping you get on the team. Think about financial giving for a minute. We just sent over $2,000 a week to Whitehall, the offerings that go with the people who who are going there. Those offerings are now going to begin blessing that community and that campus and that congregation, and we, we praise God for that. That's a good thing, but that leaves a gap in our budget here. And our elder team does not want this ministry here to suffer because we followed Christ's leading into Whitehall. Some of you today need to hear the call of God to open up your hand and release resources into the work that is so precious to Jesus. Really. I learned not that long ago, and I was troubled by it, that 60 ministry partner families here last year gave nothing. Zero, zilch, zip, nada. And I heard that and I thought, seriously? Really? I mean, didn't Jesus give his lifeblood for us? Didn't he become poor so we could become rich, spiritually rich? Nothing? I mean, is that loving one another? Is that loving your brothers and sisters in the, in the family? And if you're squirming right now, I'm talking to you. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, I believe truly if you know Jesus, you'll at least give something to the work that is so precious to him. The work of gospel transformation in individuals' lives and in a community's life. Here's the math. If those who have been giving nothing would start giving something, say $40 a month, the financial impact of sending those 90 people to Whitehall would be made up for like that. Now, I can call upon those of us who already substantially give here to give even more. I could, and I I believe we all should ask the Lord periodically what he would have us to do. But before I do that, I want to challenge those of you who call New Life your home church and give little or nothing to get in the game financially with the rest of us. Why would you not do that? Where do you want your heart to be? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. 
what he wants to do. What I'm saying is this. Loving God's people like Jesus means going beyond lip service, means going beyond just having good intentions. It means taking action, doing something, like joining the team, getting in the game, serving, giving, investing your time and talent and treasure in Jesus' church and his mission that he gave his life for. The same John who recorded the story we're looking at Later on would write this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with, with actions and in truth. That's love. Now, I need to say this. So many of you do invest in this church family in so many ways. So many of you do give financially and the work of God can move forward because of that. So many of you serve regularly here in some ministry. And I felt prompted to just take a moment right now and recognize all of you who serve in a ministry, uh, an ongoing regular ministry in this church in some way. I would like for everyone to see who you are. So if that's you, you serve somewhere in some ministry, would you stand right now? I just want to see everybody who does that. Any ministry associated with this church. Praise God for all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. You can see it's a huge team effort here. It's the same in the other celebrations, okay? It, it's not one person. It's hundreds and hundreds of people who are faithful to serve their Lord week in, week out. It's a team effort. Now, back to the upper room. There's something else here that we could easily miss if we didn't remind ourselves that sitting there at that table that night was none other than Judas Iscariot. So get a picture in your mind now of Jesus kneeling down to wash Judas' feet. What a moment that must have been. I mean, I wonder if their eyes met. I wonder what that felt like knowing what they both knew in that moment. So here's the lesson. Number five, loving others like Jesus did involves serving even those who are against you. That's what he did. Incredibly, Jesus loved this phony, posing, backstabbing, so-called friend. He served the man who he knew within hours would betray him to the authorities. And you know what? It's that same love that we've received from Jesus because before we knew him, we too were enemies of God right? Rebels. Yet, despite our rebellion, despite our phoniness, he loved us, and now Jesus in us desires to love through us even those who are against us, like he did. I wonder, who is it that you see in your mind as being against you these days? I'm not talking about the devil. We know he's against us, and we don't love him and pray for him. I'm talking about that human being whom you despise or who despises you or who you don't want to be around much or who doesn't want to be around you much. Maybe it's not an individual person. Maybe it's a group of people or a class of human beings. I've been asking Jesus to show you how he would love them if he were in your shoes, how he would love them. I didn't say this was easy, but I am saying it's like Jesus. It's Christ-like. True love involves serving even those who are against you. 
Well, Jesus continued to make his way around the group, and eventually he got to Peter. Verse 6, it says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We're not partners. And so here's another important lesson for those who want to love like Jesus, just to realize, number six, that it might not be well-received. It could happen, right? You might feel prompted to serve someone, and it might not go well. And you might think, Lord, what was with that? Well, it happened to Christ. This is the reason why it's so very important to understand why we serve other people. What's underneath it? What's in our hearts? What's our motive? Right? If we're doing these kind things for people and serving them so that people will notice us, like us, approve us, be our friend, appreciate all that we do for, uh, for them, then at some point you're bound to be disappointed and your love works will dry up as a result because you're not getting back what you were hoping to get back. I say mark it down. There are going to be Peters in your life that you're going to attempt to serve, and they're going to recoil at it. Like, oh, no, 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 that's okay. I I don't really need that. I'm fine. I'm good. That's going to happen. You'll feel prompted by God to do something for them. Your motives are pure, and they'll turn you down, or they'll turn away from you. Or if you do get to help them, instead of throwing their arms around you and telling you how much they appreciate your efforts, they won't say anything at all. No note, no thanks, no gift card in the mail. Has that ever happened to you? You know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. That happened to Jesus too and on a much grander scale than we could ever imagine. We should expect it from time to time. If we're secure in his love for us, then we're not doing it for a response anyway. We're doing it because he first loved us. That's what we're trying to get in our motives, right? In our heart. And as a side note, if you're a Peter type who doesn't like receiving love, you know, you're one of those people who's like, oh, no, 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 I'm always on the other side of the equation. I'm the giver. I'm the blesser. You know, and you're really uncomfortable when someone's wanting to bless you or serve you. You know what my advice would be to you? Get over it. Get over it. I mean, How did you become a Christian in the first place? You let Jesus serve you, right? You let Jesus wash you clean of your sins. So what's the big deal with letting Jesus' people serve you? His hands and his feet. That was free, by the way. Well, during Jesus' little exchange with Peter, another aspect of love is revealed. Number seven, loving others like Jesus did includes forgiving. It includes forgiving. Verse 9, Peter got it, okay? So he's like, okay, Lord. Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a bath. Verse 10, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. And it becomes obvious here that Jesus is using the analogy of taking a bath and of having your feet washed to speak about forgiveness. 
And Jesus was always teaching on about three levels. And as you mature in the faith, you'll, you'll begin to see more and more what an amazing teacher he was. The point I want us to see here is that love involves giving and receiving forgiveness. Peter, you've already had a bath. You've already been pardoned. You've already been forgiven. You're clean in the truest sense. You just need your feet washed because you've been walking through a dirty world. You need your feet cleansed. Let me wash your feet. And letting Jesus wash his feet was a symbol of letting Jesus cleanse him from the sinful things that he had done or would soon do. Remember, this is Peter. In a few hours, he would commit a heinous sin, wouldn't he? Jesus knew that. To wash someone's feet is to forgive them of the sins they've committed against you. And what I want to say here is that the most significant act of love some of you could do today would be to forgive that person I talked about earlier who's against you. To release them from their offense against you. To let it go. I'm talking about the person who abused you who wounded you, who misused your trust, who disrespected you, who despised you, who demoted you at work, who stole something precious from you, or maybe that person who abandoned you in your time of need when you needed them most. To forgive them. In a sense, to wash their feet. I pray that the same Jesus who forgave you of all of your sins would enable you to forgive them of all of their sins. He died for their sins too. That's a testimony of Jesus' love. You know, you'll never be able to genuinely love them with acts of love until you release them from their offense and forgive them. And remember this, think about this. The acid of bitterness, maybe you've heard this before, the acid of bitterness doesn't harm the person it's directed towards nearly as much as it corrodes the container that it's stored in. And you think, you know, I got this resentment and I'm really getting back at that person. You're not. You're hurting yourself. It's corroding your soul, that resentment is. May Jesus in you, who forgave his enemies, enable you to forgive yours free you up to love them with acts of love that will blow their minds because <laughs> they don't deserve it. Well, one last thing from the upper room. Verse 12. When he had finished, when Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you a what? An example that you should do as I have done for you. There's a lot there. But for our purposes today, just note this final aspect that loving people like Jesus did was intended to be contagious. It was intended to spread. It's very interesting to me that Jesus doesn't demand anything in return for washing his disciples' feet. He doesn't say, now that I have washed your feet, you also should wash my feet. He doesn't say that. 
This wasn't a transaction for him. This was not, hey, I scratched your back, now you scratch my back. This was Jesus showing active love without any conditions, without expecting to get anything returned, but rather expecting this, that it would be passed on, that it would spread. What I've done for you, do for each other. I like to say it like this, Jesus intends for his love to go viral. Through his people, through his church, he's saying, look, you've experienced my washing, renewing, cleansing love. Now, give others a taste of that. Live your lives to do that. What could be better than that? What could be better than if the love of Jesus was spread to millions of people, one person at a time? like a ripple effect, ever outward, touching more and more and more people. That's what he wants. That is the Jesus revolution. It's a revolution of love. Well, I believe there was something from that night that was meant for you today. And um, that's why I put a box on the back side of your outline. It has this question. What is Jesus leading you to do to love people like he did? There's something in there from his example. Is there a need that you see that Jesus is calling you to meet? Is he calling you to take that step of becoming a ministry partner here, getting in the game with the rest of us, putting down roots and serving and loving and investing, giving? Is there a passion in your heart to serve or bless someone in a particular way? Is there a problem in our community or in our world that you see and you want to do something about and make a difference? What is Jesus leading you to do? You believe God has given you a gift to share with others so they might experience Christ's love. Is there a particular person that you know in your heart that Jesus is calling you to serve, to bless, or to forgive? Take these next few moments and think about that as I pray for you right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for having John record and write down what happened in that room so that we here 2,000 years later could be instructed and taught. Thank you for showing active love. It boggles our minds that a king would come and stoop down and wipe dirt off the snowy feet of some men. We love you for it, Jesus. And I pray that our lives would reflect it. May your spirit who lives in us prompt each and every one of us in this room to take this seriously, to accept the challenge that you give us, to love others as you have loved us. Speak to each person individually. What does this mean for this man, this woman, this teenager, this child, this grandparent. Would you make it clear by your grace? In your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.